Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read through the Lord of the Rings. We are on episode 22, uh, that is book 2, chapter 10, uh, and the chapter is The Breaking of the Fellowship. This is a big chapter for us because we, uh, this is the last chapter of uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so let's get started with a quick summary of the chapter. So for a quick overview... It is time to decide for the company. They are resting uh, near the falls of the river Anduin, and it is time to decide which way the company will go. Um, it's decided that Frodo will be the one to make the final decision, uh, and he gets an hour to decide. While he's walking around uh, in the forest kind of on his own, uh, he's approached by Boromir, who they have an argument about whether or not Frodo should go to Minas Tirith or whether he should give the ring to Boromir to fight uh, the enemy or not. Frodo t puts on the ring and runs away. Frodo then uh, decides that he is going to go off to Mordor alone, and he comes back down the side of the forest that he's been exploring, and he tries to take a boat off uh, and go alone. He's approached by Sam, who catches him. Everyone is out looking for Frodo, but Sam figures out that he's going to the boats, and he Sam jumps into the water to try to get Frodo before he leaves, and Sam almost drowns, but Frodo reaches in and, and rescues him, and that is the end of the chapter. It's the end of Fellowship of the Ring. All right, yeah. Did you mention so, the sort of... I did not mention the Seed of wrestling. Sea. Okay, yep, yeah. there we go. So, we'll get to we'll, it. We'll, we'll get to it. Let's make sure we chat about that. I actually, I wanted to, before we get started, I I said last episode that I was really excited about this chapter. And it's a great chapter. Yeah. Well, the me chapter too. The uh, really, yeah. chapter I'm really actually looking forward to is the next one. I forgot. I, I, I sometimes uh, combine these two in my mind. Oh, so you weren't looking forward to this so, chapter. So for all our listeners, you'll just have to tune in to our next segment, um, The Two Towers. If you can make it that far. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I actually was genuinely, I was actually telling the truth to our listeners in that I really like this chapter and i was really looking forward to this one what? so i can uh, let me let me start off with one of the reasons why one of the reasons why is um pip this is my first i think 10 out of 10 chapter title okay right here because this chapter title is of thematic importance and this is i think the first time we've really seen that so this is called the breaking of the fellowship and what you might not notice is that this is the first time the word fellowship was used in this kind of context, sort of referring okay. to the group. They were always referred to as the company uh, until this point. And now they are all of a sudden the fellowship. Obviously, hmm. I'm not counting here the title of the fellowship of the ring. I mean, like within the actual text. So you see it here right in the chapter title. Right away, that gets me thinking, huh, what's the what's the message here why are they all of a sudden the fellowship and it's not going to only stay in this chapter either from now on that will be a more common sort of epithet for the group uh, from now till the end of the book so is there something about the fact that it breaks that makes it a fellowship you do have a, the actual line in the chapter where it gets brought up it's not just in the title it's soon into the chapter it gets talked about when aragorn says what shall now become of our company that has traveled so far in fellowship. Uh, and then he says, shall we break our fellowship and go this way and that as each may choose? So two, mm -hmm. two instances there of him dropping it. The first one, he's still calling it the company, but then by the second reference, he actually is calling it the fellowship, a fellowship instead of a company. 
Uh, but again, only in that context of like breaking it does it become the fellowship. Is there something being said here about perhaps the ending of some kind of friendship or company heightening it? Uh, not mm. like the ending of it existing at all, but the ending of at least that sort of physical proximity. Once that has to end, does it actually reach like a new level, a new, a new kind of plane? And I don't know, that's just what I'm thinking. And I think that that's so cool. I have, we haven't had a chapter title yet that made me think about things like that. And yet this one does. And so 10 rings out of 10, um, fantastic. I like that quite title. a bit. That's, yeah. that's really cool. That I, I never, I never noticed that, that it wasn't mentioned before as fellowship. It was just company, but yeah, now that you mention it, that actually, I really do like that. I like, that's very consistent with Tolkien's expression in middle earth, that death, like the mortality of human beings is a gift mm-hmm. um, that there's something significant about it having its time and place. It's not just this thing that goes on, but you get, it's this thing that's special because it's finite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that quite a bit. I can also see something being a company until you have stressors that are, you know, almost, you know, beyond the capacity for you to handle. And that's uh, going through something like that is what, you know, going through something maybe awful, right, is something what makes you right. join together. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that once we've read the chapter and you just notice in your summary, the breaking of the fellowship here is really only two people leaving it. Mm-hmm. Right? By the end of this chapter, Frodo and Sam have left. That's it. And yet this is the breaking of it. So is it really, is the breaking of the fellowship really, as Aragorn says, people going this way and that? On one level, yeah, it's when Frodo and Sam leaves. So even if it's just two people, it's still the fellowship's broken. But there's another significance here. The whole chapter is called the breaking of the fellowship. But what really broke it? Like what causes Frodo and Sam to have to go another way? Right, and that would be, you know, the big action of this chapter is Boromir's madness. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's go into that actually. So yeah. that's the breaking, yeah, or at least like in a way, right? Like the breaking is directly caused by this. So you could argue that truly the breaking is actually Boromir making that decision to do something not great. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, I guess I, my first thoughts is that this kind of even before going into it, this piece of the book I feel like is what gives me the most insight into what the ring is what the ring represents. Yeah. I think there's no other place in the book that you get a better, like a better sense of what the ring's power is um, and its effect, you know, symbolically than Boromir's insanity. And it's so, everything he says in this chapter, I think is so well written and it's so beautiful. I remember way back, and I think it's episode two of this whole podcast. I talked about chapter two of, book one reading like a Tolkien's greatest hits and I said that the the lines are so good that when Peter Jackson and company went to write the movies they were sort of able to take the lines from it and sprinkle them throughout the hmm. the movies because there's so many right. good ones you get a similar thing here with Boromir they draw a lot of his dialogue just from this chapter it's all so well written and so powerful it just flows really beautifully I feel like I'm getting sucked along into his madness like i can i don't i don't think i personally i don't think anybody would really listen to him and be convinced but you're almost like compelled by right him, right like you're compelled to listen 
because of the way it flows. That's really powerful. And I love how his shift of arguments, too. It's not just he grabs Frodo and says, hey, you're giving me the ring. It's it's this descent that, you know, picks up speed and intensity as it goes. And you just, it's, I mean, he goes from an argument that he says, the ring, is it not a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt for so small a thing? So small a thing! And it's, you know, it's that entering, oh, well, it's it's really no big deal. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to have power for myself, but, you know, hey, come on. It's not a big deal. And it's right. like, oh, it's crazy not to use. Well, oh, okay, I'm paraphrasing. I shouldn't do that. Uh, it is mad not to use. It is mad not to use it. To use the power of the enemy against him. The fearless, the ruthless. These alone will achieve victory. And so it's saying, well, you know, forget about doing what you think is right. You know, this, you have to be, you have to fight fire with fire. You have to, and then, you know, turning to accuse Frodo of, uh, of being in league with the enemy, actually, which, you know, a great, I mean, I'm just reading through it, so that maybe we should stop me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but what I should say that the one area where it does, uh, it does almost sound like he has a logical point is that he says he has that line where he says, "And they tell us to throw it away," and you know, you the reader are thinking, "Oh, no, they didn't, Boromir," but but he has anticipated I was, your concern I was because that he says, <laughs> "Yeah, he says, I do not say destroy it, right? I do not say destroy it. That might be well." If reason could show any hope of doing so, it does not. The only plan that is proposed to us is that a halfling should walk blindly into Mordor and offer the enemy every chance of recapturing it for himself. Folly. So he is thinking kind of rationally here, too, because it is a terrible plan in many ways, right? right? They talk about that at the council, that this is pretty hopeless. Um, it's, it's definitely a long shot, and Boromir's a little upset about that. That almost makes sense. I could be, I could buy that. Uh, another cool line, though, I want to call our attention to comes on comes toward the end of their exchange when he says, "If any mortals have claim to the ring, it is the men of Numenor and not halflings. It is not yours, save by unhappy chance. It might have been mine. It should be mine. Give it to me." And I like this line because of specifically that little bit about it is not yours, save by unhappy chance. There's a nice kind of irony to that line because it is, in fact, it is very much chance, it seems, uh, that Frodo has the ring. Um, although Gandalf has that reminder at some point in the book, right, of if chance you call right. it. Um, that's Gandalf, right? Yeah. I think so. I think that's right. Um, I think so. Double check that later. Uh, that's embarrassing that I can't remember that off the top of my head, given that <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a long series. Um, uh, no, it's Tom Bombadil. Regardless. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have way back in, in book one, Bombadil, once he, when he stumbles on the hobbits, and they they think that's good chance, and Bombadil says, right, if chance you call it, but um, or yeah, it was just chance that brought me here. If chance you call it, yeah, cool. So we have here, it's not yours, say by unhappy chance. It is chance that Frodo has it in a way, but it's also kind of not. And Boromir saying it's unhappy chance. It's just a nice irony because it actually turns out to be the happiest of chances that it comes into Frodo's position, right? right? So. I don't know. There's there's so much in just emotion, raw emotion in Boromir's madness. I can't help but but just empathize with. I don't know that sort of state where. You know, you're just overcome. And you know you, 
I mean, I think, I think, you know, it's just one of those, those human things that just you completely overcome and your brain is like no longer yeah. yours to, to operate. And, uh, yeah. And just, you know, the interweaving of things that sound reasonable and with things that are just most clearly not reasonable, like, oh, well, come on, like, this is a hopeless plan. Give me the ring. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's so authentic. Uh, it's, you know. Yeah, well, he's, like, transitioning from, like, every classic abuser kind of ways of getting his way. So he tries to be really nice. He tries to be kind of rational. Like, this is just what makes sense. He then tries to be physically intimidating and essentially just bully his way into right. it, right? Every every classic abuse uh, method is here so he can get what he wants, ultimately. Right. He even kind of seems to, like, shift what he wants, too, though, right? And it's another technique, you know, I know. Uh, they say no, the technique he used, used right? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you should see us as we prep for these podcasts. <laughs> like um, but uh, Frodo does does escape. He puts on the ring. And, yeah. Do uh, we come to this interesting bit right after that? How would you describe this next little sequence? The the seat of seeing Amenhen part. Um. Um, I like it a lot. I I think it's it's. I I actually I wrote down the line when he sits on when Frodo sits upon this this. It says, um, "Up he went and sat upon the ancient chair, feeling like a lost child that had clambered upon the throne of the mountain kings." And and I really like this yeah. line because it's so visual. Sometimes we forget how small the hobbits are, both in terms of, I mean, their physical smallness, but their place in this world, their lack of. You know, this is the hobbits don't have this sort of we get a little bit of hobbit history. Right. But they are not, you know, they didn't build ancient chairs that, you know, <laughs> they look upon the world. Yeah. Um, but so he sits upon this 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 chair. And um, I really love this line because um, it actually reminds me of something in another Tom Bombadil thing. Um, so feeling like a lost child that clambered upon the throne of mountain kings. And we're not told which mountain kings. I don't think there's any reference. I don't remember any reference to a mountain king, um, except for maybe, you know, talking about dwarves under the mountain. But, but we know what that is. Like you just you automatically know the thrones, uh, throne of mountain kings. It reminds me of the description of Goldberry when they meet her and she's described when when so the the hobbit's interaction with her is described as uh, uh, awkward, like folk knocking on a cottage door. Uh, to beg for a drink of water, uh, being answered by a fair young elf queen clad in living flowers. And so it's we're, we don't need to know what a mountain king is, and we don't need to know what an elf queen is. It's just that description. It's, oh, we know yeah. that idea. It's not a specific one. It's just it's just it's, it's tapping into sort of the mythology we all sort of just in the back of our reservoir of our understanding, and I like that. Yeah, called to mind, too, by the power of the specific word, right? Uh, Tolkien being such a big believer that there is some kind of, like you said, something in the back of our mind, some kind of power behind some of these words, mm-hmm. though, too. Like words like elf and king. We don't really ever think about it or even consciously know it, but somehow deep in our brains, there is some cultural memory here of things. That's the, I mean, heck, that's the basis for the whole, the basis for all this, quite frankly, right? right? <laughs> like, Mythology is that, a... uh, that, that elves, well, it's just, you know, that, that elves were not always just keebler mm-hmm. elves and north pole elves and that there there was something and there still is something somehow deep in our memories we've just forgotten it and uh 
Tolkien is here to bring it back in his own way. Yeah, it's 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 a neat uh, the, this whole sequence that was really neat. He sits on the seat and sees basically the whole world and it's pretty incredible. Obviously that can't actually happen physically. So like how much of this is some kind of weird vision? He's wearing the ring the whole time. So how much of it is because of the ring? How much of it is because of the seat that he's on? which must have some kind of like observation power. That's why it's called like the seat of seeing mm. and whatever. So, but it's left ambiguous. We're not quite sure. And I mean, obviously he can't actually be physically seeing the world as it happens because he describes like the whole of Misty Ma- Mountains are crawling like anthills is the description with orcs, right. <laughs> basically. That can't all be happening right at once here. That seems unrealistic. But it, yeah, so it, it, it's this interesting kind of surreal little scene here. It's hard to tell what's real, what's the dream. And my favorite little bit, though, is actually at the very end of it, because Frodo is feeling, he feels the eye. It doesn't say Sauron. It's feel, he feels the eye, mm-hmm. right, coming from Mordor, looking for him. It's almost at him. It's like reaching out. He can like feel it. It's like gaze somehow. Like It feels the, the finger. Reaching out to him. And yeah, it's like a shadow like, finger, right? And it's like fingering for yeah, him. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So it's like trying to like feel out for him and it's so close. But then suddenly there's a voice comes into his head. Take it off. Take it off. Take off the ring. <laughs> then it says that the two powers strove in him. And the two powers it means are the, is the eye and its groping hand and whatever that voice is. So the two powers strove in him. And when I'm first reading this, I'm thinking that voice is Frodo's own, you know, conscious or something but i'm not sure that's the case because the two powers strove in him for a moment perfectly balanced between their piercing points he writhed tormented suddenly he was aware of himself again frodo neither the voice nor the Mm -hmm. eye free to choose and with one remaining instant in which to do so he took the ring off his finger so that voice isn't him but when he gets this moment, when he does get himself and he gets that freedom to make the choice, he does do the right thing. Right. And it's his own choice. It's not, uh, I, I've always heard the voice in my head as Gandalf's voice. Well, it is. Yeah. yeah you'll find out in book three that. Oh, I mean, I was <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. He'll explicitly, cause he, he'll explicitly say that, oh my gosh, there's this point for that wrestle Sauron and I had to like intervene and was messaging him, <laughs> like, from across the distance. So. So I, I actually him. forgot. Um, but, <laughs> I don't know that um, yeah. but but it's his own voice, and that sort of choice making. His own choice. It's it's right? a miniature version yeah. of the choice making that is happening with. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of choices with um, them right on the edge of a, a waterfall, um, and they are having to make a choice of where to go. Yep. Frodo has to make a choice of, you know, to depart the company or, oh, the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to to go alone, and he has this instant. You know, these you know str- struggling with the uh, the ring, and so it's this great nesting of choice making. So there's there's one thing. I mean, I'm fine with this episode being a little longer. There's um, a couple things just here and there I wanted to pick out of the chapter. Like there's Frodo uh, does end up wearing the ring quite a bit more uh, in this chapter to sneak away. And one thing that he so when he's leaving, there's the, you know, um, Sam chases after him and Sam jumps into the water to try to chase the boat and he starts drowning. And then so Frodo has to take off the ring in order to save Sam. Um, I mean, it's not worded that way. Is 
it what causes Frodo to take the ring off again is is Sam him choosing to help Sam. Yeah. Um. He doesn't have to necessarily take it off in order to like to actually pick him up, but that's what causes him to take it off. And so I like that. That's him abandoning the use of of the ring. What gets him to do that is his love for his love, right? For Sam. There's a weird thing with Pippin. Keep it keeps suggesting that they stop Frodo from going to Mordor for some reason. I, I've always found that very weird. Uh, How so? Like, what do you mean? Oh, I don't know. It's just them. So, I mean, when I'm reading it, it doesn't sound like Pippin is saying, "Oh, stop him from going alone." It's okay. it sounds yeah. a lot like Pippin is saying, "We have to stop Frodo from going to Mordor," which just seems okay. really bizarre to me. Maybe I'm just misreading it. Um, but it just yeah, I had to. Yeah, I'll have to reread that. Yeah, see, um, really think about it. Uh, anything else? Um, so Boromir is not labeled like bad guy. I mean, it's not a, no. it's not like a, uh, oh, he switched sides and his, you know, you know, he gets a, pl- a marker above his player character. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he goes back to the company and he admits what he did and he, he's, you know, shrouded in grief. Um, well, yeah, it's interesting that they let him do that too they let he explicitly says i don't want to say any more about it and they say okay um clearly don't believe him like everyone says whatever role you had in this you need to make it right now but he doesn't like push him on it it's um, a foreshadowing line too everyone yeah. says boromir i do not know what part you have played in this mischief but help now go after those two young hobbits meaning pippin and mary and guard them at, uh at the least even if you cannot find frodo um mm-hmm. and i like that quite a bit it's going to come into play next chapter um but we promised um and uh, i have to ask you about uh, the organization of these books it's actually some i'm pretty ignorant of the history of how you know the with these books being divided up into three one or six books uh so so charlie i beg a yeah. lesson from you so uh sure so the the book itself is all written as one novel divided into six books and so the division uh the author had in mind is the six books right and then turns out we can't publish all of that Mm. at once because at the time uh britain was still in a paper shortage you're only 10 years separated from the second world war and so they have to divide it up and of course the natural division here uh, is you know two books for one two books for another two books for you know, a third and final. And because the text itself divides it into book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, book six, uh, I think it's convenient to think of stuff like The Fellowship of the Ring, which is books one and two, as a volume. So you have six books published as three volumes. So we've just finished the first volume, which for most people is how they would first come to books one and two. Like they're not going to most likely read them as just parts of this big big book now it is more common today because we have so many of these one volume editions but i do think even if you pop into barnes and noble now i do suspect the three volume editions still actually prevail like people just kind of like that setup it's kind of intimidating to get the whole freaking book you know in one volume it's kind of you know scary i think people just like the divisions i mean and that's uh, i think just like people like trilogies yeah trilogies are very popular in this modern age yeah but it is worth noting that um it is worth noting that yeah books one and two weren't somehow meant to be separated 
from three, four, five, six, but they were. So now that they were, though, does that say anything about since they were separated, we now do have a sense of thinking of this chapter as, oh, the end of not just book two, but in some ways book one and book two. That might not have been the intent of the author, but we just we got to now deal with that legacy. Sure. Of, and even right? if they were published as, you know, six books, here's a big tome of six books. Uh, looking at the first two, mm -hmm. it's like a reasonable way to, hey, what's the first third of this? Yeah. Sure. Well, and I think we got lucky because I actually do think that the six books divide into those pairs of two really naturally. It worked out beautifully <laughs> that, that that happened. I don't think it was intentional. Um, but this works great because book one and book two uh, follow one single narrative thread. They don't uh, diverge into branching stories. They stay with one character uh, the entire time. They do change the sort of focus on that character, that character being Frodo, but they don't like leave him. Um, they leave his head maybe, but not him. So they're linked in that way, and that unity is not going to come back. They both have this feeling of going through the world, and it's kind of like playing an old Japanese RPG. And you go through the world, and you're picking up party members, mm -hmm. right? And you're recruiting party members. Book one and two are both doing that a good bit. You're not going to really see that again, except when we get to book four, you're going to get to see uh, Gollum, I guess. Um, I guess book three, you have the Rohirrim and stuff. But these people don't tend to be... Well, one, these people aren't always good in the case of Gollum. <laughs> um, and it's going to set up an interesting dynamic we'll tackle in book four. In cases like book three, they're, it, they're never quite on the same level, right? Like, I don't... I mean, I love... The character of Theoden that we'll, we'll see in book three, but I don't think Theoden's part of the party that they're in, right? He's on some level, he's a bit more. And he, he has his own things that he's concerned character. about, right? That he's, I mean, he's, yeah. you know, certainly not a friend to uh, Sauron, but he has his own. His, his mm -hmm. story is, uh, he's viewing it from a very different perspective. Mm hmm. So the whole calling of the first two books, once they're bound together, to call that the Fellowship of the Ring, I think works really well because it's it's emphasizing that formation of the party character of the first two books. And you know who picked up on this really well and who put it really well was actually, of all people, it was Howard Shore who composed the music for the Peter Jackson movies. Shore had this really good small point, and I forget where I dug this up. I don't remember if it's a commentary, but somewhere on that on those movies you can in those like big extended edition sets you can either hear or read about shore talking about the first instance of his musical motif for the the fellowship of the ring the first time he plays it and he uses it in the movie um is when frodo and someone went with frodo and sam uh being together leaving the shire because he says that's actually the true like start of the group and I think that's I think that's true. You go back to book one and we're in that, you know, you looked at chapter three, book one, three is company and all the hobbits joining together. That's kind of the theme that's going to link one and two in a big way. You have these people come together into like one group. So, yeah, worked out, worked out. So we uh, <laughs> uh, are, are fortunate in that way. All right. So uh, let's see. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite line from this chapter? 
I do. It's simple. There's no real big thematic depth to it, I don't think. Maybe we can unpack something. But to me, beautiful line right at the end. Frodo and Sam are leaving. Are leaving, And Frodo talks about the rest of the, pe- the people he's leaving behind. And he says, uh, I don't suppose we shall see them again. Yet we may, Mr. Frodo. We may, said mm-hmm. Sam. And it's just a nice little conclusion to the to the chapter and it's not quite the last line of the chapter but it, in a way it is because the chapter ends with that it doesn't end with that sorry that this little section ends with that after that line Tolkien puts like these big break and then he has just a couple paragraphs that read very much like transition paragraphs mm-hmm. um into not even from like book two to three but almost as in like an awareness of the, at least they, they feel like an awareness of the fellowship volume here um, I don't think that's what they are, but they kind of feel that way. Like there's no more talking. It's just very, it's a couple quick descriptive paragraphs to transition us into, into the next Right. Book. So it is very, so. it's very much, it's reasonable to consider that pretty much the last. Yeah. Right. It, it very much feels like the last line of the actual action. It almost feels like those true last two paragraphs don't feel like they actually belong to any chapter. They they're just, just feel out like there they're letting you know what to expect. Yeah. Next. Yeah, next time on Lord <laughs> Rings. Um, so my favorite line, I think, comes from... So it's uh, when Boromir and Frodo are together, and it's before Bor- Boromir has really started to reveal what's... Well, and also maybe before he know- he himself is uh, knows what's happening. Um, but he is sitting with Frodo and he or he's standing and talking with Frodo and he is offering him uh counsel and he says you know he, he maybe they can work something out together and Frodo responds you are kind answered Frodo but I do not think that any speech will help me for I know what I should do but I'm afraid of doing it Boromir afraid um and then the line right after is what I really like it's uh Boromir stood silent Ralros roared endlessly on the wind murmured in the branches of the trees Frodo shivered and I just I love that uh moment where Boromir says something Frodo responds saying there's really nothing to talk about and then there is just silence and that moment of just hearing the the wind and the the water go on it's just this I can just feel that moment you know the the sort of the yeah the, it's it's like the deafening silence sort of thing between them i just i love that Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely and it just i love the vulnerability of frodo in that bit in that moment we've seen that so much in the book but it's just a beautiful moment here of just hey i I know what to do i just don't want to do it (laughs) great moment and the waterfall to me specifically it's noise makes me think about what's going on inside of both those characters at that moment (laughs) so well, all right. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. So we have done it. I we did it. Am pumped because we're we've finished the Fellowship of the Ring, one episode per chapter. Just incredible. Incredible. I'm very Thoughts, Pip? I have had a lot. You know, it's it's um. My experience with this book this time around has been very different um, than the previous times. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that previously that I just did not have a good time. Love this book, but really sitting down and trying to think of 
how to explain how I'm feeling about the book is is really rewarding. Yeah, this. Mm-hmm. I think one powerful thing I'm getting is having it stay with me over an extended period of time because we, you know you know I do this once a week. So before it's one thing to read the book in a month and like it's with you in that month, but now I have to sit here and chew on things for a long time and make it a much yeah. more persistent part of my life <laughs> that does has downsides like for when i'm trying to remember a line and i'm like it was you know 20 episodes right. ago so for me that's now 20 weeks ago you're so making cool. excuses it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's you like what um but, Some bomb, but i don't have a problem with this yeah you know um but it, that's been a really cool dynamic i really i've really enjoyed that and hey one third of the way there right so well, a little over because Fellowship's the longest of the three. But it's it's also nice to do it in a pair too. I mean, especially because like you and I have like I mean, I think we probably mentioned it on the podcast, but we go uh, hiking together and we you know go on various adventure like trips. Um, mm-hmm. So, The Lord of the Rings as a hike itself, yep. it's great to have you know your hiking buddy with you. Yeah you know, in the Lord of the Rings hike. Yeah, so this is this has been nice. Absolutely. I'm willing to say this sort of live on the or on air. You know, one of our next adventures is going to be Switzerland, it sounds like, which is something to look forward to for the readers because, uh, I mean, we'll probably be in, like, freaking Return of the King by then. But, you know, this is a little ways away. But still, mm. once we go, that's where Tolkien went. That would be kid. great. And that's exciting. We should, we'll have to do a special episode hiking Switzerland, finding some parallels with Tolkien's hikes in Switzerland and how he, what's his inspiration. That is so something I think it'll be like on wants. location podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to it uh, like eight months from now, but still, it's going to happen. Um, so, it's all right. Be great. All right. With that being said, next time. Book three, chapter one, The Departure of Boromir. See you then.